Well, at the end of my senior year at Texas A&M, I was studying for final exams in the Memorial Student Center on campus. It was in the morning. I hadn't really slept the night before. The clothes I was wearing were the, the same clothes I'd been wearing for a couple days. And so I hadn't changed or showered in a while. And as I sat there on a couch in one of the large rooms with books around me, with papers around me, I hear to my left the sound of many footsteps. And I look up to see really serious-looking men in serious suits with earpieces in and wires coming down and scanning the room around them. And they come to me and they look down. They're clearly not impressed and keep going. And just as I'm wondering what's going on, I, I look up and there's George Bush Sr., the President of the United States, walking in front of me. And he sees me and he, and he stops and a few feet from me and looks down and says, Howdy, how are you doing? <laughs> to which I say, Hello. <laughs> and that was it. I was stunned and speechless. So he chuckled and kept moving. And right behind him walked George W. Bush, then governor of the state of Texas, and a couple senators and staff and other important people. And so it was beyond humbling, even humiliating. I was just overwhelmed that the President of the United States stood before me. No matter what you think of different presidents, it's a very interesting moment when you're in front of one. And you don't know what to say. Not any words could come to mind. Here he is standing before me and and in my condition. If the presence and words of a president has such an effect on just a poor college student, then what effect should the presence and the words of God have on a poor and wretched sinner? Should we not be in awe and tremble? So I want to begin just with the question, what effect does the presence and Word of God have on you? Though we don't visibly see Jesus Christ or audibly hear His voice, His Spirit does dwell in us. We're told in Scripture that He he is present here with us as we gather. That we do see Him through the Scripture. We do hear His voice through His Word. How does it affect you? Do you crave words from God? Do you long to see Him? And when He speaks through His Word, do you tremble? Do you sit in awe? Does it stir in you all kinds of reverence and worship? And humility. Which brings us to our main point for this morning that if we trust in God through Jesus Christ and love Him, then we will spend our days seeking Him, longing for words from Him, and trembling when they come. That if we really do trust in God through Jesus Christ and love Him, then we will spend our days seeking Him longing for words from Him and then trembling when they come. I think this is what we're meant to see and take away from Daniel chapter 10, which is going to begin the final unit in the book of Daniel, chapters 10 through 12. 
Look at verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel whose name was Belteshazzar. And the word was true. And it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and he had understanding of the vision. So the interpretation of the word and the vision is not going to be given until chapter 11, which is significant. All of chapter 10 is just Daniel longing to see and hear from God and then the effect it has on him when God shows up, when the Son of God appears and when the Son of God speaks. Verse 2, in those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies. No meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. So given the time of year, I think we can assume that Daniel is mourning the condition of God's people, even his own condition in exile. It's nine days after Passover. It's the day after the Feast of Unleavened Bread would have concluded, and the people of God are in exile. At a time when they should be gathered in Jerusalem, celebrating the grace of God, redeeming them from Egypt and bringing them into the promised land, they are scattered across the world because of their sin and the consequences of their idolatry. And so it's no wonder at this time of year, Daniel is mourning. Daniel is grieving because that really is a special kind of grief. He can't just eat and drink fancy stuff and anoint himself with cologne as if everything's okay because it isn't. And I think even as Christians, we should know and do know this feeling. Though redeemed by the grace of God, though forgiven in Christ, though adopted by God as children and secure, we still grieve our sin. We still mourn those parts of our lives that just don't seem to be fully under His rule. We still grieve over our unfaithfulness to the Savior who redeemed us. And so Daniel longs for God to mercifully visit His people. He prays day after day, refusing to eat meat, refusing to drink wine, refusing to put on cologne and ointment, waiting for the Lord to respond, just longing for Him to deliver them. Daniel really does believe, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And not comforted by physical created things, but comforted by the grace of God, comforted by words from God, comforted by the presence of God. I think we're meant to see that. There really are times in our lives when sin should so grieve us, when we're so desperate for the grace of God, we're so desperate to understand and grasp words from God and promises from God, when our longing to see God is so deep that everything else shuts down. And so it's not a knock against food or wine or perfume. It's just a recognition that sometimes those luxury things just distract us from feeling what we really ought to feel. We've been there, right? We feel the grief and the sadness, just turn on the TV, and all of a sudden it goes away. 
you feel the weight of either affliction upon you or your own sin or broken relationships and just go eat a good meal. And all of a sudden we escape the spiritual weight and burden through physical. So what Daniel's doing here, he's just taking a few weeks and saying, I, don't, I want everything removed. Undistracted prayer. And in verse 5 it says, I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. So here's Daniel as God's prophet, mourning the condition of God's people, longing to hear from the Lord, and the Lord sends him this vision of this glorious person. And different theories about who this is have been proposed, but I think without question, this is the Son of God appearing in this glorious, spectacular form of a person. And I think we can know this because, as we read earlier, the Apostle John is going to see an almost identical vision for almost identical reasons in the book of Revelation, and that person in Revelation will identify himself as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Listen to this in Revelation chapter 1. While exiled, also in exile on the island of Patmos, the Apostle John's going to hear a voice and then turn to see this vision. Now I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forever, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. Hopefully see the parallel. That we can interpret this unidentified person in Daniel 10 through this identified person in Revelation 1 that he is the first and the last, the risen one, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord sent John words and visions, words concerning the churches and what he wanted for the churches and what he will do with the churches. And John sees that vision of that person who's going to very closely fit this person that Daniel sees in chapter 10. Eyes like flames of fire face shining like the sun, legs and feet like burnished bronze, and his voice sounds to John like the roar of many waters, which is similar to Daniel's description, like the sound of a multitude. So if you've ever visited the Great Falls just north of here, or maybe gone further to Niagara Falls on the Canadian border, or even further to Victoria Falls in Zambia, you know what the sound of many waters sounds like. 
just the roar that comes with it. And how many people travel from all over the world to visit those very kinds of places to see and to hear the sound of it. Layers upon layers of sound. Every word like the roll of thunder. And his appearance is absolute beauty. We're meant to see that. Everything about him is desirable. His body gleams like a bright emerald. And notice the language, it's like beryl. It's almost like Daniel doesn't exactly know the right word for it, only what it's like. It's like emerald. His arms and legs like bronze. His eyes like flaming torches. In other words, what's portrayed fictitiously about Captain Marvel and Thor is actually true of the Son of God. (laughs) The idea that what people imagine in their fantasy and marvel at when yet behind it all and above it all is a God about whom it really is true. That we really are meant to be in awe over. When he appears, words seem to fail. Absolute purity. Absolute holiness. Absolute wisdom. Absolute might and power. Absolute beauty. Truly the fairest of 10,000. Upon earth, there's no one like him. In heaven and earth, all worship him. And not just for his power, but for his beauty. That people would long to gaze on him, to see him. So again, the question for us is, do we want to see him? Do we want to hear him? Would you be willing to stop looking at porn to see more of him? To stop pouring over screens and other images and television and whatever it may be, just to see more of his beauty? To have our ears less filled with the rabble of the world and the entertainment of the world and the deceits of the world to hear more of his voice. I mean, we could take just a few weeks as those redeemed by the grace of God in Christ and not watch Netflix or play video games or eat fancy foods or eat fancy dinners or drink luxury drinks or worry about our physical appearance or obsess about our social image, or claw after our careers, and just pray, and wait, and watch, and long for His appearing. And how many of us, even when we just hear that, it sounds awful. Like three weeks without Netflix. Like three weeks without meats. Three weeks without entertainment. Three weeks without worrying about my physical appearance and whether people think about me. Three weeks without. For how many of us does that sound like what's the point in living without those things? If that's where our heart goes, and for many of us it does, that's the first sign that this is actually exactly what we need. Because I don't know about you, I'm, I'm humbled by Daniel. I read this, and I'm just humbled. He's not being legalistic. I don't think he's trying to impress God or this thinking this will somehow earn his salvation or get him on good terms with God. 
I think he's confident in God's grace and God's salvation. He just wants more of God now. And he just wants all the obstacles removed. All the things that distract and get in the way, taken away. So that if by God's grace, he would see more of the power of Christ in his resurrection. He wants all the obstacles cleared away. Which is also why I'm encouraged by Daniel, because I can look at him and go, okay, the priorities of my life need to be rearranged. There were moments over the last three weeks where I thought, okay, I'm going to try this. Just not going to eat meat. not going to drink any wine. I'm not going to get all too fancy dressed up, which wasn't hard anyway. That part was easy. <laughs> I'm not going to just pour into entertainment or get lost in media. And I tell you what, I, just the first day, it was amazing how much my skin was crawling. Just almost detox. Just getting weaned off of all this stuff that had for me become so, so life-giving. Like the real flavor and taste of life, the reason to get up in the morning. I mean, imagine the idea, okay, you have to get up tomorrow and no coffee. Get up tomorrow and no fill-in-the-blank. You know, for how many of us do we go, well, then, what am I going to do? That's where we can look at Daniel sometimes and just be challenged to go, okay, are there, are there just parts of the world that just has too much of a hold on me? That Jesus could be standing right in front of me and I wouldn't see him. He could be speaking, I wouldn't hear him. Because there's just so much other noise. There's so many other distractions. And so what it doesn't mean is this isn't about asceticism. This isn't about, okay, a good Christian just gets all rid of that. It means there are just moments in time, little seasons of life in Christ, where we may just need to take a week, take a few days, and wean off for the sake of prayer, for the sake of worship, for the sake of hearing from his word more clearly. Verse 7, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and I heard the sound of his words. I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground." The prophet sought the Lord, and the Lord appeared. And Daniel did not feel confident, you see that? But terrified. The men around him just fled, and they didn't even know why. They hid themselves without ever knowing the person from whom they hid. Just trembling took over them. Some sense of doom struck them. Though Daniel was in verse 8, it says, radiant. Well, now he's fearful and without strength. The Son of God's going to speak, and Daniel's just going to fall over. As the prophet Malachi declares, who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Who can endure when he shows up? Who can stand when he's before us? Because I asked earlier, do you want to see him and hear him? I think we should ask ourselves also, are we ready to see him and hear him? 
Because after all, Daniel's not even standing before the very throne of God in heaven with myriads of angels crying out around him in worship of God. He's just being given a vision of the Son of God. And that's enough for no strength to be left in him. Just a glimpse, just a taste, just a hearing. So the next time you turn on some TV evangelist or hear a prosperity gospel preacher who talks about seeing God and hearing God's actual words, you can know they're frauds by how cavalier they are about it, by how proud, by how pompous they are in the wake of that experience. People who actually see visions of God, who actually hear words from God, either flee away or fall over. They don't parade. They don't strut. They don't boast. The Apostle John in Revelation 1, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's what happens. And likewise, Daniel here, he just collapses in this puddle of humble, sober, world-renouncing reverence for God. Verse 10, and behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Amazing. God really does hear prayer. He really does hear the prayer of his humble children who cry out to him, and he sends aid. And the hand touching Daniel belongs to Gabriel, the same angel who would have appeared to Daniel in chapter 8 and in chapter 9, who's the assigned messenger from God to Daniel for helping him understand visions. So Gabriel places a hand on him and raises him to his hands and knees. And once more he calls Daniel greatly loved. Another way to say it, greatly esteemed. And that Daniel is greatly loved by God, not because he prays and fasts, but because God freely and graciously chooses to love Daniel. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. So we're meant to see here, Daniel, be strengthened by grace. Be strengthened, God loves you. Oh, because I pray and fast? No, because he chooses to. And that should comfort you. So Daniel models for us how recipients of God's love relate to God. And so we don't do these things to get his love. We do these things because we have his love. Because he first loved us. We forsake the world. We look to Christ. We hope for his salvation. We tremble before his word all because he loves us. And Gabriel gives us a clue about this in verse 12 when he says to Daniel, you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. That's, that's the posture of those who receive God's grace. It's the posture of those who see the Lord. 
And so if we want to know how to relate to our Creator, to our Judge, to our only hope of salvation, that's how we relate to Him. We humble our hearts before Him. We seek to know Him, to know Him more, to understand Him, to hear from Him. Isaiah 66, this is the one to whom I will look, God says, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You just have to hear that and go, what a glorious God we serve. He doesn't regard the powerful in this world, the boastful, the educated, the wealthy, the glamorous, the popular. He regards the lowly, the poor things of this world. God values, God cherishes. He greatly loves, greatly esteems the one who relates to him with childlike faith. Who doesn't try to climb their way there with their own righteous deeds. Doesn't try to reconcile themselves to God through their own religious works. They just come believing and trusting and with nothing in their hands but their sin to confess. Their sin to repent of. And they look to him as their hope who lays low before him, who trembles at his word, who by faith looks to Christ and worships. So you really don't need to be an Old Testament prophet. You just need to grieve your sin before God and turn from your sin to Christ before God and put all your faith in him and hope in him and trust in him. Where you look to Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection, that those are the things you cling to and you come to God clinging to those things. And that's who God looks to. So you don't need to see a vision even. You don't have to have Gabriel show up and talk to you. You even just need this account of Scripture where we see Gabriel show up. We see the vision through these words and we believe. And Gabriel says in verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me. One of the chief princes, I'm sorry, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days to come. So for the three weeks leading up to this moment, While Daniel was fasting and praying, Gabriel was contending with who he calls the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And so once more, the curtain dividing the visible realm of mankind from the invisible realm of angels and demons is pulled back just for a moment. And Gabriel's going to actually give insight into what's going on in that invisible realm. He's speaking here about a conflict between angels and demons. The word prince occurs 12 times in the book of Daniel, all of them in chapters 8 through 12. And sometimes prince refers to a human prince, a human king, as it will in chapter 11. On one occasion, it's a reference to the Son of God in chapter 8, where it talked about the prince of the host in reference to Jesus. But then at other times, prince refers to an angel, as it does here in chapter 10. The angel Michael is called one of the chief princes at the end of verse 13. 
The prince at the beginning of the verse in 13 that withstood Gabriel for 21 days, therefore, is a fallen angel, a demon. That's who he's talking about. Apparently, there was a demon assigned to the kingdom of Persia who no doubt sought to use the kings of Persia to create affliction and trouble for the people of Israel. To even destroy the people of God, which is why Gabriel resists him. And down in verse 21, Michael's going to be called your prince when Gabriel's talking to Daniel. Michael's your prince. In Daniel 12.1, Michael will be called the great prince who has charge over your people, meaning Israel. And in other words, the angel Michael had the particular task of protecting Israel. That's who he was assigned to, to guard them, to keep them. And that's why Michael came to the aid of Gabriel in resisting this demon who was trying to influence the kings of Persia against the people of God. That actually behind the scenes of these human kings and kingdoms, there's demons and angels vying for control, vying to bring about what they desire. And so even as Gabriel speaks, Daniel is too stunned to comprehend. Verse 15, when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of men touched my lips. Still think we're talking about Gabriel here. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, and I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, meaning the first vision of the Son of God, pains have come upon me. And I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. And again, one having the appearance of a man, Gabriel, touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. But again, Daniel is still overwhelmed from the first vision, from the words that he heard. Pains come upon him, he says. All strength abandons him. So much so that he can't even process what Gabriel is saying. Like, have you ever been in a serious car accident or in a shocking situation where right at the end of it, someone's trying to talk to you? And you're just not able to comprehend what they're saying. It's like your ears are ringing. Your vision is blurry. You're just reeling from what just happened. And you can't comprehend the questions that are coming at you or the words that are being spoken. That's what Daniel's talking about from this first vision of the Son of God that he sees and that he hears. He can't even process what, Daniel's, what Gabriel is talking about. He needs somebody to strengthen him, somebody to lift him up just to hear. And notice how Gabriel encourages him in verse 19. O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. Notice that Gabriel does not say, fear not, Daniel. The dude you're seeing isn't that scary. He doesn't say that. He says, hey, Daniel, chill out. The vision is only for effect. So don't panic. He doesn't say, come on, Daniel. You're actually a pretty good fellow. When you think about it, compared to everybody else that's around you, you've been fasting, you've been praying. Don't worry about this vision because you're, you're pretty good. There's none of that. 
No false sort of hope being given. But rather a man greatly loved, fear not, be peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. So the reason Gabriel says to fear not, to be strong and of good courage, is because, Daniel, you are greatly loved. That's the reason. Not, Daniel, you are great. Daniel, you are greatly loved. And because you're greatly loved, the Lord has granted you faith in the one who terrifies you. And because he's given you faith in the one who terrifies you, peace be with you. And God only says those kinds of things and gives those kinds of messages to those whose sins have been forgiven through faith alone and God's Savior alone by grace alone. The only times that he says those kinds of things, peace be with you. And so do you want peace with God? Then fear him. Fear him so much that you'll run to him. Fear Him so much that you will trust only in the Savior that He provides. The Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1, Paul says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul's explaining to the Romans is not, this is the new way that people get saved. He's like, this is how they've always been saved. This is how it's always worked. You get peace with God by being justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So even now we see Gabriel comforting Daniel. Not because of Daniel's greatness or Daniel's works, but because, Daniel, you're greatly loved. You've been given faith to trust and to believe. You're righteous before your Heavenly Father because of the one in whom you trust. So be of good courage. Verse 20, then he said, you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except Michael, your prince. So Daniel or Gabriel comes to Daniel to give him the content of chapters 11 and 12, knowing that shortly after he's going to give that content, he's going to return to fight against the prince of Persia, to go back to contending with this demon. Now, there's a demon Gabriel plans to go resist, and then another who's coming that is assigned to the kingdom of Greece, and only Michael is there to help him. So he's trying to even help us see that. There's just Michael and Gabriel, these angels contending for the people of Israel against demons that are assigned to these other kingdoms to do Israel harm. We're meant to see even in the Old Testament, they didn't wage war against flesh and blood. As Paul tells us in Ephesians, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so we should see the war really isn't political, primarily. It's really not about human kingdoms and powers, primarily or firstly. But it's cosmic in scale. There are demons and angels that are involved in what's going on. The things that we see is not all there is to see. And this is one reason we're called to pray for our leaders, to pray for those who govern us, 
not because they're just there operating as humans on their own, but because there are real spiritual forces at work behind them for good and for evil. And so we pray and appeal to God who is sovereign over all to use all those things for the good of those who love him, to use all those things for the protection and preservation and strengthening of his people. And yet at the same time, we should not tremble at this, that angels and demons are not worthy of our trembling. They're not worthy of our worship. That Daniel is laid low not by the presence of angels, but by the presence of Christ, by the presence of his word. This is really important. We should be humbled by the involvement of angels in battles over human kingdoms, by the scale of the conflict that we're actually caught inside. That should humble us, and yet we shouldn't fear. We shouldn't be afraid. Because we know even the demons tremble at the presence of Christ. In Revelation 20, Satan, who's called the dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil, he's going to be bound with a chain and cast into a bottomless pit for a thousand years. Do you know how many angels it takes to do it? If you know the story in Revelation 20, how many angels God sends to bind Satan and throw him in a pit for a thousand years? Just one. Just one angel. And there's not even a fight. One angel will, in the words of Revelation 20, verse 2, seize him and bind him and throw him into the pit and seal him there for a thousand years appointed. In other words, the cosmic scale battle that's going on behind the scenes, these supernatural powers of angels and demons, good and evil contending in the heavenly places, vying for control, it's not this contest of equal powers going back and forth. We're just waiting to see who prevails. No, it's, it's God Almighty, exalted and lifted up, before whom heaven and earth fly away, who raises one kingdom and sets down another, who raises up one king and discards another, who uses one demon, then throws him aside who sends one angel and calls back another, who's the creator and the sustainer of the whole world, who brings about all his purposes on the stage of creation, who works all things according to the counsel of his glory by whatever means he pleases, for whatever purposes he pleases, until the day he pleases. And so if that almighty God loves you, be of good courage. Fear not. Be at peace. It's God Almighty who sent His Son into the world at the appointed time, who used angels to announce the news, and demons to wail at His appearing to give testimony, who used the devil to move the hands of Jews and Romans to betray Jesus Christ and put Him to death, who used angels to roll away the stones so the disciples could see in and angels to announce the news that Jesus Christ has risen and has appeared, who uses all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so if your hope is in him and in the Son of God who has appeared, then peace be with you. 
of the angels, Hebrews says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Yet the Father says of the Son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Let all the angels worship him. The prince of Persia will go. The prince of Greece will come. And there are no angels but Gabriel and Michael contending for God's people. Why? Because that's all God cared to send. That's all God cared to use. It's two more than God needs. But the means by which God has chosen to administrate the outworking of his plan for the salvation of his people and the glory of his name so that in the end all would see and behold him and give glory to the one who rules all things. That's what he wants us to see. So the reason Daniel trembles and faints and falls asleep is it's not Gabriel. It's the Son of God appearing and the Son of God speaking and the Son of God announcing what he will do in the days to come. Nor does Daniel tremble and faint and go mute because of Persia and Greece and all the powerful kings and governments that are going to roll through. And Gabriel's about to give him the word about centuries of kings and kingdoms that are about to come. But not so that he would be impressed with those kings and kingdoms, but so that he would be impressed with the God who governs those kings and kingdoms. Not so that Daniel would tremble at the thought of all these nations that are going to arise around God's people, but that, God, that Daniel would worship and honor and adore the one who designs it all, who controls it all, who moves the very details of human history in whose hands are the hearts of kings, that he just directs them like a watercourse wherever he pleases. The glory of chapter 10 belongs to the Son of God. He appears in this glorious form who Daniel first seeks, but then when Daniel sees, he trembles before. And if he's on your side, that's what we're meant to see, right? If this figure is on your side, then take comfort. Be of good courage. Be strengthened. So a few questions to think on as we close. Upon whom and upon what is your heart set to see and to understand? Because it says of Daniel that he set his heart to understand. To be humble before this God. So to ask yourself, upon what is your heart set? Before whom are you humbled? When you consider how you use time, do you devote the bulk of it, even the best of it, to seeking Christ? To feeding on his word? to dwelling upon his promises. And it's these kinds of passages in Scripture that can help us rearrange all our priorities to motivate us to look less at our screens, less at mirrors, less at menus, and more often, more intently into the Scripture 
doesn't mean we can't look at a screen. It doesn't mean we can't look at a menu and order food. It doesn't mean we can't look in a mirror and get dressed each day. It's just what controls you? What has the lion's share of your heart affections? What of those things do you set your heart to understand and to see? Number two, before whom or before what does your heart tremble? When you consider your fears, do they revolve around God or something else? Do you tremble at God and His Word or at people and their words? Do you tremble at the one whose appearance is like lightning? Or do you tremble at those who are passing away? I think these kinds of passages of Scripture can also help us rearrange our fears, our concerns, our burdens, to give us perspective so we wouldn't worry about human governments that are coming and going. We wouldn't worry about wars and rumors of wars. We wouldn't worry about economic crises and how our children will turn out or how we will turn out or the endless things that burden us. But so that we would tremble only before God, who alone controls kings and kingdoms, who's even numbered our days, who's numbered the hairs of our head, who knows our thoughts from afar, who knows what we'll say before we speak it. The one who on the last day, everyone will have to do. It's interesting, all the throne room scenes and final judgment scenes of Scripture, there's really only one person everybody's looking at. And it's God. No one will care about anyone else on that day. And so why not start now? Daniel 10 is meant to help us see that. Number three, from whom and from where do you seek peace? When you just think about the ways that you seek peace in your life, do all those ways lead to Christ? Or to something else? Does it lead you to His grace, His mercy, His love, His promises? Or does it lead you to seeking peace in food, in pleasure, in status, in money, in power, in health, in the approval and praise of others? Every day we're seeking peace somewhere. And passages like these are meant to help us see and understand that there's only one place where lasting peace is found. In Jesus Christ. So that we wouldn't worry about our jobs. So we wouldn't worry about our physical appearance. So we wouldn't worry about our retirement funds. So that we really would be set free just to see Him and to trust Him and to hear His words and to delight in them. And to go and tell others about them because we're just not bogged down with the worries of this life. So that we would cast our anxieties upon the one who loves and cares for us. Who alone decides our fate. Who alone died in our place and purchased our forgiveness. Who alone prepares a place for us in heaven. Who gives us an inheritance that will never fade away. So if Jesus is your Savior, be at peace. 
But also, if Jesus is your Savior, keep seeking Him for peace. Keep crying out to Him for peace. We have to be constantly reminded of His love for us. Constantly reminded of His grace toward us. And so if we want to see and understand something even today, it's sort of, okay, help me comprehend, Lord, Your grace. Help me understand Your steadfast love. Help me see the glory and the beauty of Your Son that I would fear Him and trust Him, tremble before His Word and believe it. Because only then are we ready for chapter 11. And only then are we ready to actually leave this room and go out into the world that's lost its mind about what matters, lost its mind about where power is, lost its mind around who deserves worship. That when we leave this room and go into a world that worships every created thing under the sun except the one who created the sun, and we can remember Okay, this is the one to whom our worship belongs. This is the one before whom we fall down and tremble. This is the one we want to crave and seek whose word is sweeter than honey. And so that we would remind one another of those things. That we would remind one another, keep your eyes fixed on Him. He's the author and perfecter of faith. Yes, go to work. Get into family. Go live life in all the details but with this one in the middle of it all. Let's pray. Father, we make that our prayer, that you would give us eyes to see the glory of Jesus through your word. You give us ears to hear the beauty of his words, through your word, that you would give us hearts to tremble, but hearts to believe, hearts to be strong and steadfast because of grace, hearts to be at peace with one another because we're at peace with you. And for any that are here, Lord, that that don't fear you, don't know you, aren't humble before you, we pray you do that right now that you would humble them beneath your word, that you would help them see the terror of judgment that is awaiting, that they would turn from their sins even now and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ's blood is the only payment for sin, that his broken body is the only replacement for their body, the only due judgment that can be taken away from them, that they would look to him and be saved. And for all of us who trust Him and know Him, that we would cling to Him, that we would desire Him, that we would see His beauty and realize nothing in this world can compete, so that we would not expend ourselves chasing after what will not last and expend ourselves seeking the One who is forever. So help us, we pray, in Christ's name, amen.